and you find yourself one more time inside of the Emerald Lane. Episode number 24. Lane. Thank you for coming back. I'm your host, Orion Coates, the host of the podcast. Thanks for joining for another episode. I'm still, if you heard the last podcast, I'm still in Japan. This is my second month. I am in an apartment broadcasting from, well, actually broadcasting from a house nestled in the heart of central Kyoto. It's about 27 degrees Celsius, about 81 degrees for, for everyone back home in the United States. Sitting here working on, on a Sunday afternoon. You know, I, I'm like I said before in the last episode, I'm really trying to intensify my creative output so I can do these podcasts and also videos with more consistency. I want to build the audience more. And if you want to build something, it's going to take sacrifice. It's gonna have to, you're going to have to sacrifice some daydreaming and the window shopping, things that I, I like to do. I, I think I tend toward decadence. I've been thinking about this a lot. How can I improve on the inefficiencies in my workflow and my personality? I, I have a lot of free time. I work for myself. I don't have to go into a traditional job. So my life is very unstructured. I have no deadlines. I have nobody telling me I have to turn something in. I, there is no hard responsibility. And that's, that's not always a good thing. Sometimes it's good to have deadlines. You get things done. When you don't have deadlines, you can, for months on end, just float into outer space in an abstract kind of workflow. And like I've said on a, on a previous video that I did on YouTube, there is... I think an exponential amount of resistance that you feel when it comes to working on something that you care about, your passion project. So I think the resistance and, and the excuse making, the self-sabotage that I experience is double or triple. So that's what I'm doing. I'm sitting here wrestling with myself. I'm roping the wild stallions of, of my restlessness and insecurity and resistance. I'm making them submit. I am transforming base metal lead into gold through my effort. That is the alchemical process of creation. This is where we are. And like I said, I, I have been feeling an, a very intense urge to intensify my, my work output, to do anything that I can to be more consistent. I want to contribute something worthwhile to this creation, to the community. And actually, I have, a, I have an interesting story about this. The other night, a couple days ago, I experienced a pretty intense synchronicity. You guys know what synchronicities are? I know a lot of you know what synchronicities are, but for the people who don't know, essentially, a synchronicity is a meaningful coincidence, a sign, 
I'm a huge fan of Rob Bresny. He writes a horoscope called Free Will Astrology. And this, this man, I think, he's a modern-day oracle. He has a very, how can I say? I don't know, when you, when you read his horoscopes, they resonate in a, in a very deep way. And the way he writes them, it's almost like they're, they're riddles. You should check him out. Free Will Astrology. So anyway, I'm at dinner. And like I said, I've been having this, this urge, this burning urge to intensify my work output, put my head down, put my nose to the grindstone. I'm at dinner the other night having pasta. I open my phone and I, I say, oh, let, me, let me check out the new Rob Bresney horoscope. So I open my, my free will astrology horoscope to Leo. And this is what I read. This is, these are Rob Bresney's words. He says, in my horoscopes, I often speak to you about your personal struggle for liberation and your efforts to express your soul's code with ever more ingenuity. It's less common that I address your sacred obligation to give back to life for all that life has given to you. I only infrequently discuss how you might engage in activities to help your community or to work for the benefit of those less fortunate than you. But now is one of those times. You are in a phase of your astrological cycle when it's crucial to perform specific work on behalf of the greater good. Why is it crucial? Because your personal well-being in the immediate future depends in part on your efforts to intensify your practical compassion. Interesting. I set my phone down. It, you know, that's a little ominous. It, it, I was, I was kind of, uh, I was a little disturbed. When you read these things, this is the danger of reading horoscopes because you can, you can put too much weight on the horoscope. You can obsess about it. You have to be balanced. Now, the horoscope, it just confirmed what I already was experiencing intuitively. In other words, my intuition, my heart, my, my natural urge inside was, was gearing up for, for harder work, for more output. And then I read the horoscope and it confirmed things. It was a synchronicity saying, hey, you're on the right track. Go in this direction. So I'm taking the positive from the horoscope and I'm working hard, baby. Sitting down, facing all of my inner resistance this is how we progress. You know, life is such a safari. You know, on that note, let's get into some music. Let's get into some deep explorer Indiana Jones sh Plumb the depths of your inner world. Press forward, pioneer, journey inwardly. And above all, apply the most effort that you can. When you fail, get back up and just keep doing your best that's all that's what my father used to tell me rest in peace john singleton by the way emerald lane podcast episode 24 i'll uh i'll be back in a few minutes wind is high and stormy tonight we can be 
You know, I think another thing that bothers me is the fact that it's hard for me to sit still and work. Like, you know, you always hear people say they have ADHD. You hear that, you hear that a lot these days. And I do have a little ADHD. It's hard to sit down, man. It's hard to sit down in this chair and focus. Like, it's squirmy. My limbs are squirming around. It's uncomfortable. I mean, it's hard to, it's hard to do anything these days. To sit down and read a book. Can you, can you imagine sitting down and reading a novel? Most people. I know, I know some of you are very well-read and erudite. But for most people, they, can't, they can barely make it through an article. I mean, the idea of me sitting down and reading a physical book, like, if you told me to sit down and read a short story, it might as well, you might as well be telling me to sit down and read the fucking Bible. I'm squirming, you know. You know I found that the key, actually, to reading. You have to, our brains are on this social media, digital speed mode. The, the, the rhythm and the tempo that has been thrust upon us is faster, the momentum of, it, of information. In order for you to get through all of the information that's coming at you in the form of social media, articles, emails, texts, you basically have to have a high-speed processing rhythm. The attention spans have shrunk. It's like a speed in a car. You have to downshift and go back to the, to the earlier mode pre-social media, pre-internet. And what I found is if you're sitting down reading a book, I sit there and on the first page, I start reading ultra slow. I'm talking about I read every word like this, like once upon a time there was, you know, that slow. Processing, chewing, every word at that pace. It seems ridiculous, but if you do that for a, a paragraph, after you've done that for about a couple minutes, your mind shifts tempo back to the old school format of being able to process at a slower pace. Then you can read chapters and go on and read for a long period of time. It's just a, uh, it's just a matter of shifting mental Tempos. So, you know, here we are. We are now in this new tempo of having to process all the information. That's another reason why it's hard for me to sit down. I get all squirmy. So that's, that's what ADHD is to me these days. Everyone is dealing with this. A child, an adult. The momentum of the technological society that we're becoming. That we've become. ADHD, the contraction of attention. Momentum, momentum, technology momentum. It's like a rushing water at your back, pushing you further into uncharted territories. I think about this a lot. I, because I think it's only going to get faster, the, the pace of, of society seemingly, the, the mental speed and, and the pace of information. We've opened up the Pandora's box. Human beings becoming cyborgs. Computers becoming human. Yes, that is the future. And you can see it. 
I remember in the early 2000s, I believe, I think. Is, isn't that when T-Pain came out? Early 2000s? And we first heard a, a modern pop artist using auto-tune and singing, sounding like a computer. No, no, actually before that was Roger and Zap. That was the precursor. That was the, the premonition, the harbinger in the, in the mid-80s. Roger and Zap. So Roger Troutman was singing through a vocoder on his keyboard. He could make his voice. You ever heard that song, Computer Love? If you haven't, look up a song called Computer Love. It was a, it was a dope song, man. It hit the hood. It hit, it hit the urban areas hard. It was sexy, and it was this computerized voice. It was very modern. So that was the initial harbinger. But then, the, the promise fulfilled. The real atomic bomb was T-Pain in the 2000s, the early 2000s, 2005. I don't remember when he came out. It's a blur to me. It's a nightmare. It, it never ends. T-Pain came out, and he was using, he was using technology called auto-tune. And this is where you could sing, you could be literally tone deaf, sing into the microphone, and the computer algorithm would correct your pitch and perfect it. And, and when everyone first heard T-Pain, yeah, it was kind of a hot song, but it's like kind of weird. The guy literally sounds like a computer. I know, at least I did. I thought, oh, you know, this is like a fad. This is horrible. And it's going to pass. And it just kept going. When T-Pain was, and that's it's an interesting name, T-Pain, think about it, technology pain, that's how I, that's to me what it could be. But, you know, this was a sensation in the culture, this, this new sound. So it sounded horrible to people like me, people who were adults. But think about the little kids who were being influenced, who were 10 years old, who were five years old. To them, it was the gospel. It was the standard. It was the, the direction of how things are supposed to sound and how things are going to sound. Those seeds were planted then and this new generation making music. Now think about it. If you walk outside, if you listen to modern pop music, it's not the minority who are using autotune like T-Pain and people in the 2000s. It's the majority. 95% of people are using Auto-tune. 95% of people sound like computers. To me, I look at things from a very, in a very metaphorical kind of way, a poetic analogy. Human beings, wherever you go, sounding like computers, making music in the voice of a computer. If that's not a sign of the direction that we're going in, or of the threshold that we've already crossed, I don't know what is. This, this, it's not this, slowing down. The surrealism and absurdity is not going in reverse and going back into the jack-in-the-box. It's going to progress into ever new frontiers of berserk strangeness. Yeah. I, and listen, I'm not trying to paint a dark picture. I actually find it fascinating. We have incarnated at this period for a reason. We have to accept these things. There's no use in, in wishing for... 1964 and Little House on a Prairie, groups of young men standing on street corners singing doo-wop, penny arcades. <laughs> you know, it's not going to happen. This is where we are. This is the strange future. We have to try to wrap our heads around it. 
I don't know. Look, let me let me change subjects. Let me let me change the topic into something positive. Let's go back in time. 1980s, kindergarten. This was a beautiful movement of sound and of music. Hear, feel, grok the ebullience and the euphoria in this era of pop music. I don't know why these people were so euphoric. Early 80s and black music in general. Go listen to some of these people. It's so euphoric and celebratory. They're all singing about celebrations. Maybe because the, the constraints of racism were starting to kind of loosen a little bit and people could just join the society as no, a normal human being. Maybe, maybe that was the euphoria, I don't know. Maybe it was cocaine. It could have just been the underlying cosmic vector of energy that was starting to infuse the planet in the form of Michael Jackson and Star Wars. And who knows, man? Donald Byrd, love has come around.
Listen to that lady. Do you really hear that? The joy in those people's voices? They sound like angels. They sound like they're emitting positive laser beams. What were they so happy about? What was the wave that was sweeping through that era in the early 80s? I'm so curious about that. I think I'll ask my mom. I think she was, what, late 20s during that time? Maybe she has memories. Maybe she can, she can give me some answers. I need answers. I want to know. I'm very, I'm very curious. I want to know. It's a stark contrast to the vibe of the pop music in our modern era. Why? 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 What does that say about modern music? What does that say about the society right now at this moment? What is being reflected back to us? Music, any art, any creation, any person, any personality, is a product, is a reflection of the, of the time that it's born in, that it's created in. Modern pop music is, is a language, is an object, is a wave that is reflecting the times. So what does modern pop music say about our times, the times that we're living in? It's interesting. Interesting to think about. It's a magic mirror. Do you remember the magic mirror in Snow White? The magic mirror. You know, I've always been, I've always been completely fascinated since I was a little boy with the concept of a portal, of a tear in the fabric of reality, of a window into an alternate dimension. I was always very fascinated with these things. Child of the 80s. There were lots of portals, portals around in cartoons. Magic mirror. The ma- I looked this up on Wikipedia. The magic mirror is a mystical object that is featured in the story of Snow White. Mystical objects. Mysticism. So I'll leave that to you to figure out what modern music is saying. Is it an indication of the decay of the social fabric, of us going further, deeper down into a spiraling abyss until we become cyborgs fused with computers? Is it a product and a result of rampant capitalism, a drift from enlightened idealism toward robotic soulless materialism you can figure that out for yourself I wish more people played musical instruments let me rephrase that music programs in schools in public schools being phased out in favor of of some capitalist bottom line if more people played musical instruments things would be better There's something so eloquent and beautiful, very subtle that happens when you learn how to play a musical instrument. The the vibrations of the instrument, when you strike a chord, it does something to you. It releases an appreciation of, of poetry. 
of romanticism. I think if we had more of that, I think music would be a little better. A little bit more romanticism and poetry. That would be nice. What a, what a strange, strange simulation this is. I mean, you can't write this stuff. May I, can I uh, suggest a magical formula? A magical formula brimming from my mind right now. Every morning when I wake up, I get up at seven in the morning, drag myself out of bed, uh, go upstairs, stretch, get the body, get the oxygen flowing, flowing through, get the blood pumping. One of the first things that I do is I suggest to myself a very interesting thing. I say, today is going to be a great day. Today is going to be a fantastic day. It's going to be a great day. And I repeat this over and over again until I feel it in my bones, until I convince myself with the suggestion, today is going to be a great day. It's almost like I'm going to Disneyland. I repeat this over and over again until I feel it. I engage my spiritual mechanism, my intention. The second part of that, this is very important. I start to describe things that I want to see, what the day is going to yield. I say today is going to be a fantastic day of healing, of ever expanding levels of consciousness, of strength, of meeting new friends, of being flexible and courageous enough to make new friends and to believe in myself more, to be more compassionate and non-judgmental towards other beings that I see. But when I describe what the day is going to yield, my most important thing that I say at the very end, I say, I am awake in this simulation. I'm conscious, I'm awake in this dream. And I can see all of the synchronicities, all of the signs that are beckoning to me. I can see them and I can walk through those doors. I have the courage to walk through those doors. I can recognize them. This is very important. I am awake. When the universe is presenting me these opportunities, I can see them and I'm strong enough, I'm brave enough to embrace them and to walk through those portals. This is a really powerful, magical formula you can use to change the world, your world. And listen, try it for yourself. That's all, you can see whether what I'm saying is ridiculous new age rhetoric, or if it is an actual useful tool. Try it for yourself. I guarantee you'll improve your life by 30 to 50%. Your life will become more exciting, more magical. This is important. Don't let your life become boring and rote, mundane. I'm allergic to a mundane life. Why? Why? It's unnecessary. It is, it's not sexy in the very least. Can we agree on that? Is that why we're here, to have a boring life? 
So, please, may I, may I share something very, uh, that was very moving for me that I heard the other week? Again, in the bathtub, I heard this. And I said, wow, that is such an alluring, arresting song. I was, I was temporarily transported to an unearthly region. I was completely transfixed, sitting in the water, staring at the wall by the candlelight. Check this out. Sky. 
sublime, dreamy. Our ancestors, ancestors singing together in concert in a communal, blistering song together. You can hear the people, all the souls who have passed on, who were live at that performance, basking in the glow of the voices and the composition. I don't know. I don't know. It's a different time. Woo! There are no rules. What are rules? We don't need any rules. Interesting story my friend Richmond Dunn told me. One of my oldest friends. I've known him probably since I was, I don't know, six years old. When he came to visit his father. His father lived across the street from my family in the West Adams district of Los Angeles, California. He came to visit with his sisters one weekend and he'd, he'd come sporadically. Listen, this is me reminiscing. He tells me this story. I don't remember. I vaguely, I vaguely remember this story. It's an interesting story. It, it's something that gives me, it's a compass for me. It reminds me of who I am, who I was born to be. We were so young, we were, we were coloring in coloring books in the living room or the front yard. And side by side, we were working furiously and I guess I was coloring outside of the lines. And he admonished me. He said, hey, look, look, you can't be coloring outside of the lines. You're outside of the lines. You need to be coloring inside the lines. And with a stern look, you know, so sensitive, so offended, I said, I said, no, 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 you can color outside of the lines. You can do anything you want to do. I trip out when he tells me that story. I'm just like, really, I said that? But it was a funny story, and for me, it's a compass. I think back, I say, wow. If I was an adult and I saw that little kid say that to myself silently, I'd be proud. I'd take note. I say, oh, okay, that little kid is kind of, kind of sharp. I say, yeah, I'd say, that's correct, you're right. You don't have to color in the lines. That's true, that's correct. <laughs> what? 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 I don't know if you can hear it. I know you can't hear it. But it is a... The rain is coming down outside my window here in Kyoto. And I've granted myself, by virtue of the rain, the storm that's happening outside, permission to stay inside all day and work. I can work, man. I just finished drawing or sketching over there. My other, I have two stations in my house. I have this station where the laptop is, recording equipment. And then I have another desk where I have uh, my easel and my paints, my pastels. I can go over there and listen to far out music and just let my hands go, man. Just flow, flow, don't let your mind get in the way. I mean, what was I saying? Oh, that story with my friend Richmond. 
Do you have stories like that? I'm sure if you think back in your childhood, you'll discover there were these hallmark moments in your life where destiny was indicating to you the kind of personality you have and the kind of path that you were going to walk, you were destined to walk. It's all in your childhood. I actually did a video about this on YouTube. You should check it out. It's an interesting concept that your destiny is written symbolically, metaphorically, in the events of your childhood, if you go back and examine the events of your childhood. I know, I know, it sounds, it sounds far out, but examine for yourself. I think you'll be surprised. I just came back from Tokyo a few days ago. It was my first time going over there. For, for many years, I've come exclusively to Kyoto. That's all I ever knew of Japan was Kyoto. And there are many different, each city, each, each prefecture has its own distinct flavor and kind of subculture, the way the people move, interact and express themselves. Kyoto is very refined, elegant. It was the spiritual home. It is kind of the spiritual home of Japan. Zen temples dot the landscape. They're everywhere. In fact, there's a, there's a huge 10-foot statue of a Buddhist monk just down the block from me, man. So Kyoto is, is, has more of a conservative, elegant, kind of refined, forgive me, kind of a, a little bit snobby kind of expression which I like, I identify with that, because that's how I am, actually. But I had never gone to Tokyo. So imagine coming to Japan for, I think, four years in a row, and having only gone to Kyoto. It's like traveling to the United States and having only gone to Austin, Texas. And one day, you went to New York. And it's like, your mind is blown by the scale, by the difference in the energy and the speed. Tokyo, the New York of Japan, completely different vibe. Wow, I can't believe that was my first time going. I ate at a wonderful izakaya. You know what izakaya is? I didn't know what izakaya was for, uh, you know, uh, maybe until last year. It's kind of like Japanese tapas, like small plates of food, uh, a fried chicken, a couple pieces of Japanese fried chicken, tempura, fried shrimp and vegetables. Very strange izakaya. The chef is very eccentric, and he had a bunch of wooden penis art hanging from the hanging from the ceiling and he was playing all this like rock music cream van halen yes 
the vibe was off the chain. I was, of course, I was sipping on my my gin tonic. Beef stew, so flavorful. A small bowl, beef stew with potatoes. And the beef had the fat, that buttery, rich thing like your grandmother used to make. Amazing. The surrealism of Tokyo. The scale, as I said before. It was kind of hard to come back to Kyoto. It was kind of, I was, I was uh, disillusioned. I was flabbergasted coming back here. But I got back into my rhythm. It took me a couple days. Put my head down, got back to work on the podcast. And here I am right now talking to you. Traveling over the ether into your ear, into your mind. Dragging you into exotic tangents. This is what this is what we do. I, listen, have you gone to Tokyo? Yeah, no, you haven't been there. Well, I really think that you should go to Tokyo if you get a chance, and it would be well worth your time and effort to come over here and see it. It's unlike anything I've ever seen in my life. It's like. New York, but a well-ordered, surreal New York with no danger. Visit the Rose Bakery as well when you come over there in Ginza. Oh boy, that's a good breakfast. That's a beautiful breakfast. What do we got here? One last thing I'd say. I've been wanting to share this song with you guys for a while. I was thinking about this. This is a be- you know, this is one of my favorite musical time periods in, in history, the 50s. My first love in music was the 50s. I listened to all manner of music from the 50s. Buddy Holly, Little Richard, Big Bopper, uh, Richie Valens. On and on. I love the 50s. Very melodic song. Short, right to the point. This song is hard, dude. And metaphysically speaking, it's a wonderful example of the, of the power of the mind and visualization. Having an idea and a goal in your mind kept strong and it eventually outpicturing and you stepping into that vision. This is a powerful song. Don't sleep on the 50s, man. And by the way, you got dreams for a reason. Outpicture your, your, your dreams. When I say outpicture, it means draw them from outside of your mind, walk into that reality, into the real world. That's what we're here to do. That's, that's the game. That's the trick of this whole simulation, man. Make your dreams come true like Eddie Cochran. You know what I mean? You know what I'm talking about? Okay, check this out. Oh, look at that. Here she comes. Here comes that girl again. Wanted to date her since I don't know when. But she don't notice me when I pass. She goes with older guys from her out of my class. But that can't stop me from my thinking to myself. She's your fine looking man. She's something else. the street. There's a car just 
Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of the Eddie Cochran. I mean, look, compare that to the White Stripes any day. That was, that was hard. Teaching you how to dream. And with hard work, executing your dreams, bringing it to reality. Onto the claws, Shoning from Denmark. The Denmark sexy. That's how I want to end it. I want to end the train here. I want to step off here into the sexiness. And you know what? That's not even the right word. It's not, it's not about being sexy. It's sensual. Your, your senses, your feelings, all of your, all of your chakras activated at the same time. That's, that's where I'm going to get off the train. I'm going to end the podcast here. Thank you for tuning in again. That was episode 24 of the Emerald Lane Podcast. I am your host, Orion Coates. Sonny Coates, known in the past life. Both, either one, you want to say. Thanks for sticking it out with me. You know, I do these once a month. So I'll see you, I'll see you next month. It was so nice spending time with you. Thank you for sitting next to me and hearing me out, following me down these, these strange rabbit holes. That was really open-minded of you. I really got to say, I'm proud of you. And I admire you. Don't let anyone say that I said anything different. So, until the next time... End of line.